All right. Good morning. Good morning. That was pretty good. 915. All right. The 915 is always the most spiritual crowd. I'm aware I didn't get any amens on that. I thought I'd get a few. But uh, do me a favor. Turn to somebody near you. Give them a high five and tell them that today is a good day. Today is a good day. All right, if you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter 11. We're going to dive right in, right in. All right, we are talking about prayer. We've been in 21 days of prayer. We went through a whole week of it. So thank you for those of of you that have been joining with us. If you're new to Redeemer, my name is Mitch. I have the joy of being the pastor here. But I want to invite you to join us. We're on Facebook Live every day at noon and then we upload it to the podcast and uh every every day and it's uh it's been a great time it's been a great experience and really what we're trying to do in that is remind ourselves that it's through those small acts of obedience those small acts of faith that God moves Right. It's this belief that first Corinthians chapter one is actually true, that God's going to take the weak things of the world to shame the strong, that to to confuse the strong, that he's going to use something that in the eyes of the world is weak to do something amazing. And so that's really what we're doing. So we're taking 10 minutes, you know, sometimes less, sometimes more, but but about 10 minutes of the middle of our day to just say we want to pray first. We, We want Everything we do to be born out of this spirit of prayer. Because we're told in Scripture, in 1 Thessalonians, that we are to pray always. What does it look like to pray always? It doesn't have to be this monumental act. Sometimes it is. There are moments where that is necessary. And we talked about one of those at the end of the first service last week. That sometimes God moves in massive ways and we're thankful for that but often god moves in the small ways does he not and we're grateful for that so that's what we've been doing and then also this worship night coming up on wednesday uh let me add my invitation to that uh we've been planning for that and praying about that and uh expecting god to really uh speak to our hearts on that night it's going to be great so bring a friend and uh, make your plans to join us now mark chapter 11 Very, very familiar uh, passage of scripture we're going to eventually land on, which is the one and then we're not going to put it on the screen yet. But but you've heard, I'm sure, if you've been in church for any amount of time, if you haven't, I want to share with you a verse that is used for a lot of things. It says anything you ask for of God, if you ask for it in faith, it will be yours. Now, this verse has been severely abused. What it's not saying is that if you believe God for one billion dollars, you will have it in your mailbox tomorrow. And if it doesn't happen, you have too little faith. All right. If that was true, I'd be a billionaire multi times over and it would be awesome. But that is just not what Jesus is talking about. But what I want to introduce you today is the context in which Jesus says that. Because what Jesus said is true. Whatever you ask for in faith, it will be yours. 
Can I take a poll and just ask? No, I'm not going to do that because you might be an atheist in here today and uh, you're going to screw up the poll. But uh, if I was to ask those of you who are followers of Jesus this morning, how many of you think Jesus was lying? Hopefully none of us in this room would be like, yeah, I don't I think he was just telling a joke. Right No, like what God left for us in the Bible for the rest of history is true. So what was he talking about? What, what was Jesus saying when he said, anything you ask for, if you'll ask for it in faith, I'll give it to you. What was he talking about? And that's what I want to look at today because as we consider what it means to pray first, what it means to give ourselves to this lifestyle of prayer, this is incredibly important. It's incredibly important the context in which we find this verse. So if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 11, if you're uh, taking notes today, there, there's, it's blank. There's not like an outline for you. On, for you uh, type A's, I know that's going to bother you. But uh, this is, this is going to flow more than we normally do. But uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 12. This is a fascinating passage of scripture because if you are familiar with the church world, you know that right before this was the triumphal entry. This is the point where Jesus is getting ready to come into the city of Jerusalem. He is being celebrated and they're waving palm branches and they're, they're shouting this phrase at him that, that to Jesus as he's riding through the middle of them and they're throwing their coats down on the floor. He's receiving this royal entry and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're, they're just, they're going crazy, Hosanna, which means come now. They're saying, come now, Jesus, come now. They were, they were ready for Jesus to come and rescue them. And that sounds great, right? That sounds great. We do that every Sunday. We're saying, come now, rescue us, save us. We need you now. That's a good thing to declare, by the way. It's a good thing. Hosanna, we, we, we agree and affirm Hosanna. But as Jesus turns that corner with them and with his disciples, there's this really interesting story in the Bible. It almost seems out of place because right on the heels of this triumphal entry and right before he's going to go to the cross, we have this story. And here's what it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says, on the following day, so this is the day after Hosanna. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Man, you can just get along with Jesus, can't you? He just needed a good meal. And seeing in the distance a fig tree, so that's where him and I would go, would just depart. Figs are gross. (laughs) Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. So it was in season. It was... Blooming, it had leaves on it. Get the picture, we need that. He went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Makes sense. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And this is my kind of guy, just like, I needed a snack, you didn't provide a snack I'm going to curse you forever. (laughs) 
you can just like side note, the Sons of Thunder here must have been thrilled with this, right? They were like the guys who wanted to, they were two of Jesus' followers who wanted to like call down fire from heaven and burn up a whole group of people because they didn't believe in Jesus. Like, well, if we're not going to believe, let's just burn them with hellfire now, right? Like that's what they were, so they must have loved this story. Ever again, that's strong, right? For a tree, what did the tree do? And listen, it says his disciples heard it. So he's teaching a lesson to us at this point. But it's a weird lesson. And then another familiar story. So this is the same day, right? This is the day after Hosanna. That weird little thing happens with the tree. And that same day, we come to another familiar story, right? And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned tables. If anybody had a picture of Jesus that was like meek and mild, now picture Jesus walking into the temple. And like Just pretending like he was here. And he came in and he just started throwing the chairs and throwing the tables. I mean, come on. Here he goes. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them. And saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of what? Say it with me. Prayer. prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And we and were seeking a way to destroy him. Some of your translations will say to kill him. For they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Same day. All these things are happening. So we've got, I really want you to know the timeline of this. Because as followers of Jesus, we oftentimes read these stories separately. And we forget that there was this greater movement and greater teaching that Jesus was making. Here's what happens. As they passed by in the morning... So they've slept probably outside. Now they're passing by. They, they're leaving the city, going back the way they came. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter, always Peter, remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And listen to Jesus answer. It was in response to that withered fig tree that we get this statement. Truly, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your heavenly, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the context that that's in, but but he says that in response to Peter noticing that Jesus, when he needed a snack the day before, curses this tree. And then they go do some other famous activity that we still talk about thousands of years later. 
And then as they're leaving the city, they go, they go back by this tree. How many of you know Jesus does everything with great intentionality? They go back by this tree. Everything in your life is happening because God has allowed it to happen. And that's good news because as they go back by this withered fig tree, Jesus teaches them an incredibly important lesson about their walk with him. And I want to look at it in a couple different parts here. I want to go back to verse 12 to 14 and I want to look at our condition. Right? If you're taking notes, you can write down this first thing, this first area is reminding us and teaching us because remember he's teaching his disciples at this moment these are these are his closest followers and he chooses to remind them of their condition there's a couple things within that that are incredibly important the first thing that Jesus exposes is our need right he says he saw that there were leaves on this tree they're they're off at a distance and they can see that there's leaves on this tree But when they get up to the tree, what's missing? Fruit. So so think with me, Redeemer City Church. From from afar, from Instagram, from Facebook, does there look like there's leaves on the tree of Redeemer City Church? Yeah. But if Jesus was to walk in here and look at your heart today, would he find fruit? Would he find fruit? Because what he's saying here is this mountain. I think a lot of times we we get in our head that that he's out on some mountain in the Rockies, right? Like we just kind of think American. Like he's just, he's in the Rocky Mountains. He's hanging out. He maybe skied the day before, you know, he's just like, okay, maybe we don't think that. But we, we, vision, we envision a mountain, but, but what's the mountain that he was coming up on? It was the mountain of Jerusalem. It was the temple mount. It was the temple that was sitting up on the mountain, which was blocking the fruit from being delivered to Jerusalem. Think about the scenario in which you... That's why this context is so important, because he's not just standing on a mountain and saying, Hey, Pat, if you stand in front of this mountain and you say, I want you to move to my backyard... You know that you're going to have Mount Everest in your backyard because you prayed for it in faith. That's not what he's saying. He's looking at this temple mountain with his disciples and saying, this thing looks like it has fruit. But it's only leaves. There is no fruit. And what does Jesus do to it? He he exposes this need. There's leaves but no fruit. But what do we know? What did Jesus teach us? What does the New Testament teach us? Faith without fruit. We often say faith without works, but it's faith without fruit is what? Dead. Jesus curses this tree and it dies. Because faith without fruit is is not faith. It's dead works. So this is not a call for more works here. Right? Who did more works than the Pharisees? Who, who did more works than the people that were up on the Temple Mount? Nobody. Nobody did as much as they did. I mean, they were tithing out of their spice rack, folks. I mean, that's legit. He's not calling for more works. He's calling to ask you and me, is there fruit in your life? Oftentimes we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we think, I need to work on this. <laughs> but that's not what it says. What does it say? It's fruit of the what? Spirit. 
It's not the fruit of my effort. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So what do I need to examine my heart for? Do I have love and joy in my heart for Jesus? You can do everything right on the outside and miss it. Right? What did, what did Jesus say in that story he tells us about? He says, there's going to be people who come and stand before me and they're going to say, God, we did all these things in your name. I mean, I mean we cast out demons in your name. And what was his answer to them? Depart from me, I never what? Knew you. It's a relationship. Jesus is saying, it can look right and not be right. Church, you can look right and not be right. Do you have joy and love for Jesus in your hearts? And, and I also think it's interesting here that as he exposes that need, there's an excuse given, isn't there? There's an immediate excuse given. And it says this, it says, When he came to it, found nothing but leaves, for it was not season for figs. It's just not the right season for figs. Like, what, what does that even mean? If something has leaves on it, it's what? alive but it's not producing what it was supposed to produce and in response to that in response to that in response to that god we're doing all these things in your name look at our leaves (laughs) jesus is going to say i don't care about the leaves i don't care about the lights i don't care about the smoke that's billowing around me i'm going to turn that off real fast (laughs) that was convenient wasn't it Sorry, starting to starting to choke. <laughs> Look at our smoke. No. <laughs> they offer this excuse, and what does he give them? He curses it. He curses it. And you and I need to know that if you stand before Jesus at the end of your life and offer anything but a love for the Son of God, you aren't going to make it in. It's, it's not about what you can do. It's about what he has done. You see, it, this, the context of this is so important because Jesus is marching into the city to die. And people are celebrating him as he comes in. Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, look at his teaching. In this next section, we're going to see they're astonished. I mean, their minds are blown because he's just this incredible teacher. And Jesus is standing there going, man, there's leaves here, but there's no fruit. And so Jesus judges that tree because it was apart from him. Brings us to verse 15. It's the beauty of the gospel, right? That in our condition, we're not left there. I try to talk about this as much as I possibly can, that the difference between religion and the God of the Bible is this, that we have this condition where we're apart from Christ and it's judged by God to be condemned, to be cursed. But he doesn't leave us there, amen? Look at what happens again in verse 15 and following. Says he comes into the temple and he begins to drive out everything. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything. And 
verse 17 says he was teaching them. And is it not written that my house shall be called house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. It's amazing that when we're exposed to not have faith or to be wrong about something, we, we typically respond in one of two ways, don't we? The, the Pharisees respond here in fear and they want to kill him. But the people are interesting to me because they respond in astonishment. It's like they're, they're flabbergasted at what just happened. That Jesus walked into the temple mountain and into the most important place and just took authority to do all this stuff. And they're astonished by that. But isn't it amazing that it's not too long from now their chant for Hosanna is going to change to crucify him. So, so my question for you is, as Jesus begins to cleanse you, as he begins to expose things in your heart, there's typically two responses to that. Fear or astonishment, but what you do with those is what matters. How you take your fear of being exposed and how you take your astonishment of the authority and power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life, those are the responses, but what you either one of them could have taken those responses, those Pharisees could have said, oh my gosh, like I've never seen anything like this and bowed the knee to Jesus at that moment. The people who were astonished could have just not seen it as a sideshow and recognized he's talking about me. You see, the disciples are getting this backstory with this withered tree and you and I are getting the backstory with this withered tree that when Jesus walked into the temple, the tree was the temple, it was the church, it was us. And we've got all these pretty leaves. But is there fruit? Do you love Jesus? I just love it. Do you love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? That's not a to-do list. There's no way to do love God with all your heart. Sometimes we get afraid of emotion in the church. And I just want to encourage you not to be afraid of that. To love God with all your heart and all your soul. And then your mind. Like, yes, you've got to engage your mind and you have to do. But it's born out of love for Jesus fruit that he is alive in your heart. Fear, astonishment, Hosanna, crucify him. That, that, that's the setting that they find themselves in. And it's amazing that the, the answer to all that is this section at the end in verse 20 to 26 about faith and prayer. As all of these things are happening, Jesus says with this withered fig tree, he says to his disciples and answers their question about it by saying, have faith in God. This is an appropriate word for those of us at Redeemer City Church in the 21st century America, isn't it? Have faith in God. Whether, whether we admit it or not, many of us are on this, I have faith in me and I have a plan for me and God is hitched on to that somewhere as like an insurance policy. How often is, is our life 
led by our faith in God? Would my job look different if I had faith in God and recognized that I was on mission where I work? If I led my parenting, I'm speaking to myself now, with faith in God, would my parenting look different? Oh, that doesn't feel good. I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> that makes me feel guilty. Shouldn't it? I mean, you put, put it for you. What is it for you? What is, what is stealing from your faith in God? For, for, for the people on the Temple Mount, it was, it was religious activity. But for the people who weren't up there, for, for just for you and for me, it was just this astonishment that quickly gave way to he's not doing for me what I want him to do. You got, you got to track with the story, right? He, he says, have faith in God and then I'll, whatever you ask for in prayer, I'm going to do it for you. But it starts with faith in God. It, it's, it's not because what he says is if you, have, if you forgive anybody... If you need to forgive anybody, make sure you do. Make sure your heart is right. And, and then when you pray, whatever you ask for, I'm going to do it for you. Why can he say that? Because if I lead with faith in God, I'm not going to pray for what I want God to do. I'm going to pray for what God wants me to do. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in God being the genie up in the sky to make my life the way I want it to be than me looking at my life and saying, what is God trying to do here? What's God doing in my life? I see leaves, but is there fruit? Is there fruit in my life? Because faith without works is dead, but dead works are not faith. It's an amazing context that Jesus tells us to pray in faith. And the religious person in your heart will try to qualify that. The, the religious person in your heart will try to qualify what God is willing to do in your life. And I just want to call you back to this beginning faith. This idea that if I have faith in God, when I pray, He can do anything. Think about that in your life. If you were to pray for your neighbor, that God would move powerfully. You know that? That's God's will. God says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what, what happens if I get serious about praying the things that God is for? What if I pray that about my job? What, what, if, I, what if I stop feeling this way about my job and not liking it, but recognize that it's an opportunity. You see, because what, what we go from is our condition to our cleansing to our opportunity. Right? Like, that's the flow of the text. He exposes who we are. He offers us cleansing. He offers to come into your heart and just overturn the tables and expose all the things you didn't want to be exposed. And then He offers you have faith in God. You're the tree. But what's beautiful about the gospel that's different than any other religion in the world, what's beautiful about Jesus is that when, you, when he sees the dead tree, he just needs you to see that you're the dead tree. 
And if you put your faith in God, what does Jesus say? He says, I've come that you might have life. I believe that every single person in here, regardless of how good or bad things are going, you need life. You need the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus to bring you life. You want to see God do amazing things? And I'm not talking about these extraordinary things. I'm talking about ordinary things like like loving your kids, loving your spouse, having joy in your job, seeing the people around you how God sees them, not how you see them. These are miracles. (laughs) Because, Because what's the most stubborn part in your life? It's your heart. It's my heart. It's God. Melt this heart of stone and give me one of flesh. That's, that's our problem. We're, we're dead trees. We, we've got leaves, but no fruit. Let's pray for fruit. Why? Because faith, what is faith then? Have faith in God. Faith is believing that God will do what he says. That's what faith is. And Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. No, no, it doesn't matter how much you accomplish. Because it's not about what you can do. It's about what he has done. And what he's going to do. And we get the joyful privilege of playing a part. Amen? We pray in faith because we believe that God will do what he says. We started this church because we believed that God would do what he says. And what I want to call you back to is to join us in believing that God will do what he says. But understand that he wants to do it through you. He wants to reach people with the gospel through you. He wants to build his church through us. Not so that we can have a lot of people, but that so we can see people walking with Jesus. That's why we do what we do. We exist to share and spread the liberating power of the gospel. That's why you give your money. That's why we spend the money. That's why we pray. That's why we serve. That's why we sing. That's why we preach. Because we believe that God will do what he says. Amen?